Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason, the host of the Noble podcast. Almost everyone goes through some change at work, whether it's a merger, acquisition, or change in management. There's usually uncertainty, which leads to fear. Today, we're going to talk with an expert in how HR can help navigate through it. Transparency is paramount. When leaders don't say why they're doing things or don't follow through, people start to worry about their jobs. Rather than being open to change, people shut down. My guest today is Amanda Small, the VP of People and Culture at Nest Wealth and a change management expert. She's a professionally trained artist and experienced HR leader with over 10 years experience in talent acquisition, program management, and people and culture. Using her connector superpower, Amanda partners with founders, CEOs, and senior leadership teams to build great cultures. She's an evangelist and influencer with a curious mindset and a desire to build an amazing business. Amanda, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This was the thing I was looking forward to the most today. So I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Finally, that doesn't say much. In Honestly, this- it does not say much. <laughs> but it's okay. I appreciate it. You know, yeah, listen, it's a true, it's a truth. I was like, oh, right. I'll get to do the podcast on change today. So that's really Good. keeping your ties. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about change first. What are the most common or some of the, some of the common issues that you've seen? You know, I think, listen, you, you said it in your introduction, like change comes with it. Usually a lot of fear. Like that's just our normal human response to change. And so I think, right, when we're, when we're talking about change, we want to think about all the different ways that we can embrace change, but also really embrace our humanness around change. I think that's a really important component. And there's particularly in this space that I work in, which is the startup space, usually we're early stage, um, change is really the only constant. So our job or my job as a people and culture leader is to really start to build a lot of resilience towards what is inevitably coming, which is lots and lots and lots of change. And that can look like pivots in the business, right? We know, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, I hope, but we know when you're in startup or early stage companies, right? Pivots or what I sometimes call micro pivots, that's just how you're going to get there. But that can feel unstabilizing, right? We're, we're sort of conditioned and or our our humanness, right? Our human side conditions us to say, when we know, when we know what's ahead and we know what to look for, we feel calm and confident. And so when you introduce this kind of all the time pivoting or micro pivoting, as you get yourself closer to your, your outcome, I think that that can be really challenging for people coming into that space. The other really big change that I think is kind of all the time, at least in this space that I work in, is also what you also mentioned, you know, around acquisition or investment. Um, Sometimes there's very active boards or founders 
And because of that, right, there's, there is maybe a vision that we're kind of marching towards, but we've got to build a lot of flexibility and resilience around, you know, as we, as we get an investment or go through an acquisition, you know, what does that new or next vision look like? And uh, how do we build muscle around being able to navigate that well? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I worked in a startup as well, and, and you've probably seen this, but the, there's this, there's this rule I'd say, I, and I can't remember where I saw this from, but this rule of 10, that basically every time you grow by roughly by 10 people, mm-hmm. the complexity, it, it grows. I don't know if it doubles or whatever, but you know, the first right. 10 people, you're basically doing everything. All of a sudden now you move from 10 to 20 roles have to change because mm-hmm. you don't need to do as much as when you were 10. And then you move to 30 and now you start building it a little more layers of leadership and that sort of thing. So you've, you, I'm guessing you've probably seen this. So much. Yeah. And I think you just touched on something that's so important to kind of call out and recognize, which is, you know, as you grow those phases and stages, I think of it like the human development side as well, right? When you're a teenager, the skills that you need in order to make that leap from a teenager to, you know, a young college student or moving away from home for the first time in your early 20s or something, those that's quite a large change from kind of being, you know, a teenager to a young adult. And then that big leap again that you have to make really from becoming a young adult into, let's say, your you know, your professional years, your 30s, maybe you're becoming a parent or a leader yourself, right? There, there is, there's such a huge shift required in both mindset and I think uh, muscle, I guess I'll say. But I really, one of the things that I hope we talk a little bit more about is one of the things I think that stays constant in our ability to navigate change or as a positive in terms of the muscle we can build around resilience with change really comes down to this this behavior or this expression of always being kind of curious and learning. And with that, you know, change becomes a lot easier to uh, make the leap mm-hmm. from one stage yep. to the next. Yeah, absolutely. To your point about resiliency, also the having a positive mindset and actually being willing and mm-hmm. wanting to take on something different. It's actually, I think it's good for you to, to learn something new, mm. but, but at the same time, we, we can talk a little bit about it is, you know, when you start getting into kind of a monolithic organization. So mm-hmm. let's say you got a company of 200 people, you merge with another company of 200 people. Now you've doubled it, right? So now yeah. everything is in flux. So we'll, we'll get yeah. at that in a little bit, but that's a completely different situation. For sure. Yeah. So what do you, what what do you think people sometimes get wrong about change management if I'm using the right words? Yeah. I love this question so much. So when I distilled it down, I I was thinking about this. Like what do we what do we get right and what do we get wrong? And as I was thinking about it, there were two things that really kind of popped up as what do we get wrong about it? But it's also things that when we get it right, really makes an impactful difference. And the first is that change, navigating change, or what we now popularly call change management, like trying to manage change, requires a ton of courage. And 
what courage requires is vulnerability and openness. And so there's, you know, lots of really great work around vulnerability right now. And so I think sometimes what we get wrong is that it's going to take a lot of openness and connection. And also, I think when we feel a bit fearful and we don't sort of lean into being very courageous and connected, I think sometimes our brain tells us that the change should or could be fast or direct. But what we know is that human beings are very complex. The way that we understand and adopt change is so different from one person to the next. And that a change, quote, process can be so dialed in, so documented. The framework is perfect. But without courageous, authentic communication and deep support and connection about the change, think sort of like coaching, but I I always think of like courageous communicating and like just kind of courageous leadership, being being that person who's willing to say like, this is hard and it will kind of continue to be a bit sticky. And I'm going to share with you how I've navigated it before. And then I'm going to ask you, how can you help? Right? Like, Instead of yeah. being like, just framework and we're going to do it like this. Yeah. I think that stuff can really fall flat um, it, or really go only part way. But what happens is we think, right? We think making sure we have the tightest, most perfect kind of framework and do all the things is going to work. But I think if you really pull that back, if you really pull it back on what has changed work or like live, is this, you know, engagement and coaching and engaging in the challenges really, yeah, just authentically. And I think we kind of forget to use creative storytelling to help people stretch and sharing our own challenges as leaders with change and sharing what we learned, you know, Sometimes I think about the power of fables. You know, when I was growing up, we heard a lot of fables, which really was that storytelling way to teach either a new way of thinking or how to get through change or adversity. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we really miss using creativity as a change opportunity to build muscle and be really adaptive. So. Yeah. One of the other things I've noticed, and you've probably noticed too, is I think people expect change to happen faster than what it does is, is, you know, like you, you expect, like, for example, a merger, you expect a merger. What's the big deal? Get it done in like two months. Right. Because what, what is it? You got to just tie in your systems, blah, 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 move everyone together, whatever it is. But the thing is, reality is people are afraid of change. People want some degree of comfort. They they want stuff to move fast. They say, but uh, my experience has been, you don't want things to move that fast. You want to be able to see things and and make sense of it before you agree to it. And you've probably seen that as well, is is what I'm sensing. Absolutely. And listen, right? How many times do you hear, at least I do, oh, it'll be BAU, business as usual. Don't worry. It's BAU. I'm like, no way. First of all, 
we actually know it's not going to be you. So the reason we say that is exactly what you just pointed to. We as human beings, our, you know, lizard brain tells us with anything unknown, fight or flight. I mean, we, you know, we all know that, especially as people who work with people, it's just part of our wiring. And so there's no such thing as a fast change and it'll just all work out and via you. And I think you just said something that's so important. People need soak time. They need to try on the coat, see how it fits. It's okay if it's- They're comfortable. Not perfect, but like, all right. And it's move around a little, stick my hands in the pockets, just test it out a little. And that's what I mean about creativity and flexibility and curiosity is such a critical component of creating positive change and time. You need way more time and way more touch points and way more vulnerable, authentic communication than you think. Like triple, quadruple, what I think our our brains tell us. Like we yeah. should be able to talk about this once and then we'll just go on. And so definitely I think that's something we we often get quote wrong about it, but it's because, you know, that reactive brain is telling us protect, protect, go fast. Just get it done, you know, check it off this. And that actually interrupts that opportunity of really courageous communication, I think. Yeah. So HR is, you know, a central, a a central player in an organization with a voice of employees, basically. So Mm -hmm. in in your opinion, what role does HR play in, in driving successful change within an organization? I mean, I... You know, my superpower is the connector. That really is something that I've been told even before I was in HR. I'd bring people together. I'd break down barriers. We just, people would tell me, I just feel at ease when you're there. And I know you're going to kind of, you know, really create this like opportunity for me to be around other people I may not even know. And it'll be comfortable and there will be ease. So I think I actually believe, and there there's some research about it, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit, but care and connection are absolutely required to lead from my perspective. And I just recently was shared a podcast from a leader at Canada Helps from Adam Grant, who I follow and I love. And I think, you know, the topic was like brave leadership or something, which we're all so interested in. I think I'm calling it courageous, but, you know, essentially this idea of brave leadership. But in the podcast, Brene Brown, who I love so much and follow as well, talks about hearing a story from a military general who said, you actually have to have affection for people you lead in order to lead them successfully. So I always kind of call it care, connection, vulnerability, but think about that. That's not hugging everyone, is it? Well, (laughs) in that perspective, no. But you know, when I I think about that word, right, the the affection for someone, really caring and connecting was what- The compassion. The compassion, exactly. I think that people in culture are care and connection and action. That's how I treat my leadership roles. And our level of connectivity and humanness and our innate ability to sort of have awareness out in the communities we're working with, be self-aware, 
And that commitment to being really thoughtful about getting things, you know, right for people, but not necessarily being right, is a really powerful change agent inside of organizations. And I know my organizations often leverage me for that explicit, you know, so kind of superpower. Like I'm there really, I've been sort of called at times like the heart of the organization. I think we're all the heart. Don't get me wrong. We all beat together. But, you know, bringing that level of, of connectedness and compassion and humanity into how we lead and how we think, I think is a really important and integral part of, of successful change. So if, if we're now talking about, you know, getting employee buy-in, mm -hmm. what, what strategies have you found to be effective? Well, you know, I think it sort of goes back to my first like our first uh, exploration there, but I think you have to be willing to talk about the hard things, one, and just the more you do that without any ambiguity or grayness, like you just open it up and say, this is a hard thing. And, you know, I talk about that even in situations where we have to do rifts or really large scale changes in the organization, right? I just start with this is so hard because it is. And there's no point in leaving out this this like really important part of how it feels, right? And people's shoulders drop when you just acknowledge the humanity in the room. When you compassionately acknowledge this is super tough and the other way that I think it's really uh, been effective for me to get employee buy-in, I think anyone from Nest listening to this will laugh a little bit, but leveraging the very different strengths and superpowers on your team, within your leaders, in your managers, in your ICs, whomever, but being able to say to people on your team at any level in your organization, you know what? You are so great at caring and connecting with your team, or you have an amazingly agile and quick mind for articulating our value prop and ask them to work with you in what the change cascading communication and change management looks like and leverage them, give them some ownership to say, here's what's hard. Here's what's exciting. Here's what I think about it. Because hearing different, different articulations of the same thing, I think you catch a bunch of different people, right? Because we are truly inherently quite different in how we understand the change is quite different. And something my executive coach said to me just this week was this phrase, clear is kind. So leveraging multiple different people and their strengths in your organization to get understanding, being really straight, being uh, clear and like leaving no ambiguity or gray you know, area is really important for successful outcomes and sort of allowing, allowing, welcoming, let's call it other people on the bus. I'm not telling you, I'm asking you, are you with me? And the other thing that I think we just don't always do when we're trying to get employee buy-in, so, so critical 
is just keeping a clear identifier or tag on the destination. So this is the part that my Nest team will laugh because I kind of say it ad nauseum, but it really, they get it, right? And when we go through change, we just talk about it like that. There is this destination. And we want to coach around understanding and excitement for the journey, which is going to have a lot of change. But if we keep our eyes on the destination for this particular conversation, let's say we're all headed to Costa Rica. We're going to Costa Rica. We're all going. That's where we're going to end up. That's our outcome. And as we're driving there, we might start off in a station wagon and then we have engine trouble. And so we have to end up in a van again, which is a dream from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And then there's detours and there's road work and there's you know, wild weather or really cool pit stops where like, we must go to the corn palace. We have to check out the corn palace or whatever, right? All of these things are going to come up and that's going to influence and impact our journey. But we keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds on our outcome, or in this case, our destination, which is Costa Rica. And I think when you can do that work, really create a story with your team members around, yeah, we're having car trouble and we are veering off and we're going to take a little bit slower road or a wonky road that's very bumpy and challenging. We're still going here to Costa Rica and we're still going together all the while kind of leveraging your internal uh, team members superpowers is to me, one of the best ways you can really get everybody on the bus with you. And it's, it's, it's great when there's good news, right? Cause everyone loves good news. Everyone likes being part of a winning team. So I right. went through like one, one of my experiences, I used to work at Sears and Sears was basically like the Titanic. <laughs> and to, to management's credit, there was weekly town hall meetings that gave updates in terms of how the business is running with certain limits. Like you can't share everything, but at some point the bad news was shared where, Hey guys, we're going to have to cut staff because of, you know, the business isn't doing as well, blah, blah, blah. Right. That is a moment where, you know, the, the brain starts heading, like fear starts. It's like, yeah. Oh, is my job. Am I, am I on the chopping floor? <laughs> Something what, is wrong. Yeah. Am I on the, yeah, exactly. What, what's going to yeah. happen? Then all of a sudden, right. like the, the experience was there's, a, you know, instead of people doing the work, all of a sudden it led to people starting to have these one-off or small group conversations. It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? Who do you think is going to be going? Like it starts to turn into a gossip fest rather than right. focusing on, on work. And, and the challenge there was that the really outside of the town hall, which I give management credit to outside of that, there wasn't communication. So we didn't know when we didn't know what was going to happen. And it was so, so that fear was uh, like, like, like glowing embers. It was just allowed yeah. to kind of sit there and burn and fester and, at some point it could, it could spark up, mm -hmm. but you don't know. And, and that was, and that's, that's the tough part about the negative change in dealing with yeah. that. And I think to yeah. your point about, you know, getting, you know, everyone to work together and say, guys, here's what's going to happen. I need you to work with me. We need your support for the next three months. 
Here's mm-hmm. how we're going to help you transition out because a lot of people are dealing with that now. Like it's relevant today as it was for me, like whatever it was, 14 years ago or whatever, yeah. you know? Right. But you just, so what you just pointed to, Jason, is, I mean, it's exactly what I am thinking and talking about and feeling, which is that was courageous. There was something in the air which was called fear. (laughs) And there was a whole mood around fear because when we feel fearful, we, we just, all of our survival suit, our armor, it goes right up, right? It just goes up. We are reacting. We can't even hear. We can't have an authentic conversation, a connected conversation when we're in that state. And so the dismantling of that the moment to say, listen, here's what's hard about it. Here's what's challenging about it. Here's what's exciting about it. But most importantly, here's how we're going to tackle it together. And that you don't have to have all the answers. The collective brings the the power, right? The collective brings this energy to it of we've got this. We yeah. we're we're in it together yeah. and we've got this. And it's amazing when you do it that way through this courageous connecting conversation, right? Just yeah. get out there and really every time you feel yourself resisting, lean more in. Lean in. It's incredible how quickly people mirror that behavior that's right there for them, right? I, I think, yeah. So, so to your point, I, I think when there's bad news, people need to feel that they're being taken care of, that they're being yeah. looked after sure. so that, that, that empathy, that compassion that needs to be there. My experience when it, when a company is growing is there needs to be some sort of, I don't know if you can ac- accurately say the end game, but saying, guys, here's what we're going to do. I need, we need your help to kind of get through from point A to point B. Like here's, here's sure. what's going to happen. We don't know how it's actually going to end up, but we need yeah. everyone to pitch in, kind of take on additional rules, do this, do whatever it is. But people have an idea about, okay, we're going to be going through some shit over the next, you know, two, three months or whatever it is, but we're going to get to the place we need to get to. And it's a positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. So how can HR involve top management in the change process? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I sort of bring it back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation around the destination. But I think executive leaders, maybe it's a head of HR, maybe it's your COO, whomever is really kind of owning or accountable for driving the change or kind of owning the change management. I think the the key is to really lean on the humans inside of the org to be part of crafting and creating the vision of that change journey and giving them ownership on crafting the story. They're going to help us all, right? It can't be one person and it can't be a leadership team. It's really the collective. I think 
so important in kind of driving us towards the change while we build muscle and curiosity and learning around the change and not getting bogged down in the process, but focusing and certainly, you know, interrupting, really leveraging your community, your employees, your other leaders to really, you know, tackle when change creates annoyance or fear, right? Because there will be annoyance (laughs) and there will be fear. So we, when we leverage, you know, not just the executives, but really tell them and bring them along on the journey and share how we're going to bring along the employees. And really, we're going to do that by asking them, how do we navigate this with your teams? Like we we use this opportunity to learn and we use this opportunity to kind of be part of, you know, the collective to breathe life into that journey. And when you do that, what I think happens through the change management process and how I well, how I've seen, you know, my executive leaders get really excited about doing it this way is that it aligns usually with being purpose-driven and it aligns us on really being on the adventure of change together. So I think a lot about, I feel like I sometimes say it to my executive teams as well, but, you know, Simon Sinek coined maybe through a book or something else, that phrase together is better. But think about that. The collective is so powerful. So telling people is very, very different than asking people. And creating that story with your team members and creating the opportunity for how we're going to navigate it not only gives them ownership, but also puts them solidly on the adventure with you. And so I think that's a really critical piece is that no one person, no leader, no one's going to be like, yep, I've got this change. (laughs) You know, someone is going to be accountable for thinking it through and being the advisor on that. Right. But we want to really stop telling and and start asking from, from my perspective to really get that buy-in. So what, what advice would you give to HR professionals about staying ahead of the curve? So we've got a constantly changing Mm -hmm. environment. How do you stay ahead? I mean, this is the artist in me, I think, but you know, I was not trained professionally in HR. I didn't go to school for HR. Someone took a chance on me and it was a CEO who said, I see you. I really see you. So here's Here's my advice. I think HR leaders and professionals, you have to find your authentic voice as a people and culture leader. And your secret sauce, my secret sauce, is definitely not in how other people do it, right? As a, as a creative and a trained artist and out, you know, we're sort of trained out of the box, but then when you're in art school, you have to be in the box a little bit too, right? But your Your true secret sauce is your authentic expression of yourself. And that authentic expression, going back to the beginning here, takes a lot of courage because it will sometimes feel like you're, you know, you're kind of out over your skis. But when you're coming with your true authentic self in partnership with your leaders and your people, 
I think deep cultural change is possible and any change happens well, I guess I'd say, when you're really showing up. When you are showing up, you are there, you are open and you're in that space of creativity, curiosity, and discovery. So we actually do our best creative work when we're discovering and learning. As we experience change and practice change and build our confidence and muscle and behaviors and rituals around change, we actually become ourselves excellent change agents. And if I do, if I can say so, artists are really adaptable with change because that's also a constant in your practice, in your art practice. And so I think you can't underestimate the value of the time you spend with people in those courageous conversations and how impactful you will be in that space when you really sink into your authentic self. Super important. Perfect. So we're just going to segue to what I call the noble round. So it's just uh, some quick Q and a, uh, just to learn Love a little it. bit more about you. So okay. who's your, who's your favorite artist and why? Oh, oh my gosh. Who is my favorite artist? Well, for a writer, oh, I don't even know if I could say a visual artist who's my favorite, but for a writer, I will say magical realism is something I love so much. Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, Isabella Allende, Tom Robbins. I've always been really interested in that style of writing. Perfect. So how did you become the champion of kindness? I mean, so I think that I've always been an empath and that sometimes served me and sometimes was really challenging for me. Um, but I grew up in the Southern part of the U S and so kindness, maybe not authentically, I don't know if Southerners <laughs> hate me for that, but kindness is kind of cultural there. There's this really <laughs> lovely part of the culture, which is like, everyone is your, you're checking in on them. When you're at the gas station, you're like, how's your mom? How's your health? How's, mm -hmm. How are you doing? I like your earrings, right? There is, there is part of that culturally that I grew up with, but you know, I really like people. I really, really, really like people. And I find uh, humans so fascinating and underneath, right? All of the kind of reactive stuff we go through that protective, I think I called it your survival suit, right? Behind all of this is this really beautiful um, connective tissue. And I think when you think about that, rather than like your stuff reacting to someone else's stuff, kindness is easy. Kindness is so easy. And I say, I am kind, not nice, right? Because in the South, you learn to be really nice. But I think what's so important to me is really being connected with other people and looking for, you know, their unique kind of beauty. And that allows for a lot of, a lot of kindness to kind of bubble up right there uh, on the surface for, for any of us. And what's uh, one thing people don't know about you? 
let's see. I'll give you two things most people don't know about me. I used to follow the band Fish when I was very young. You, and sometimes I tell people, like, they're like, You would oh. travel with them? Yeah, I would not like as part of their band, but I would follow yeah. them around the country <laughs> and go to concerts. Yes. Yeah. Love, and now I don't love them anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Fish. I don't love you anymore. But I really loved that time in my life. I met so many people. I traveled all around the US. I made jewelry and clothes. And it was like this really hippie kind of community. But I did that for a couple years in my late teens and very early Mm. 20s. And people are always like, you did? That really surprises people. And the other thing is I hiked half of the Appalachian Trail when I was in my 20s, my little Mm. bit later 20s. And so I spent three months hiking in the forest and sleeping in the forest and getting our food, you know, dropped to us. I think my parents were our main like food droppers. They would send all of our food along the along the trail. But that was such a magical time as well, really being able to sink into nature in a way I never had before, completely disconnect. We did not have cell phones. I'm aging myself slightly, but you know, we were just out there hiking sometimes 10, 12 hours a day. <laughs> and we hiked from Georgia to West Virginia. That was really, really a, a really cool adventure. That sounds great. Amanda, yeah. I'm going to put it in the show notes. How can people reach you if they have questions or want to connect with you? Yeah, they can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm not the best on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is a great way to to reach me if you want to just connect or especially okay. if some people are listening who are like early in their HR career. I like to mentor and coach that group. And you can always email me at asmall at nestwealth.com. Perfect. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.